Hi, I'm Lara Bennett, and you're listening to Highway Butterfly, the stories of Neil Cassell. Neil was a gifted singer, songwriter, musician, and friend to many. He released 14 albums as a solo artist and collaborated on countless projects with other musicians. After his passing in 2019, his friends and family created the Neil Cassell Music Foundation to provide instruments and music lessons to students in New York and New Jersey and to support organizations that offer musicians mental health care. One of the featured projects of the newly formed foundation is the tribute album, Highway Butterfly, The Songs of Neil Cassell, a sprawling 41-song collection bringing together a galaxy of rock and roots luminaries. We've asked the contributing musicians to share their memories of Neil and their stories of making the record. Highway Butterfly, The Songs of Neil Cassell is out on November 12th. Pre-order the album and learn more about the Neil Cassell Music Foundation at neilcassellmusicfoundation.org. Hello and welcome to Highway Butterfly, the Stories of Neil Cassell podcast. I'm Gary Waldman. I'm your guest host for this week's episode with Leslie Mendelson. Had a nice chat about her short but sweet friendship with Neil and her beautiful version of Neil's song, Feel No Pain. All right, let's say hello to Leslie Mendelson. Hello. Hello. It's nice to see you. Good to see you. It's been a while. It has been. You just played some gigs. Sacramento, did I see that you were playing some gigs last week? Yes. That was the first time I've ever even been to Sacramento. It was 114 degrees. Oh, nice. It wasn't an outdoor show, was it? It might as well have been. It was like the air conditioner was hardly working. I brought my mom on these three shows. We did three shows in Northern California. And she's just like, get me out of the house. Because she's been there, you know, pretty cooped up for a year and a half. Like most of us. And uh, she's like, just, I'll, I'll be your tour manager or like merch girl or whatever. I'm like, come on, mom, let's go. And I'm like the first day, I'm like, I'm sorry. <laughs> this is horrible. Sweating so, loading yeah. boxes of T-shirts. Yeah. Well, I, I wound up doing it all. But she had, you know, she was just hanging. I didn't want her to do anything. That's cool. She did sell my merch. That was cute. Well, we we're finally uh, about to announce the whole uh Highway Butterfly project, because, you know, we've obviously people know that we're doing it, but we haven't announced a full track listing. We haven't announced a release date because we've had many delays because of the vinyl issues that are happening all across the music industry. So it's been very frustrating. Um, But it looks like we now have a release date of November 12th, and we're going to announce the whole project on July 21st. This will probably run after July 21st, so people will hopefully know what's happening. And you did a beautiful version of Neil's song, Feel No Pain, which we'll talk about. You grew up in Long Island, right? Strong Island. Strong Island, yes. (laughs) Um, I feel like you had somewhat similar of a singer-songwriter path as Neil. Started playing instruments when you were young, started writing songs maybe in your teens, 20s? Uh, Teens, yeah. 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 Like 14. I started writing songs on piano. Love songs. I don't know why, but they just, you know. Because you were 14. (laughs) Yeah. Like, what do I know? Yeah. Um, Were you ever in like a Twisted Sister cover band or anything like that? Is there any metal stuff that we should know about? His kid 
went to my high school. Like he lived in my neighborhood. Yeah. Close to it. There's like, there's such just to divert for a second, but can we just talk about like the Jewish rock and roll contingency that came out of Queens and New York, like Long Island. It is so crazy. Cause my dad went to school with Wadi Wachtel and they reconnected. And then like, apparently like Gene Simmons, uh, like rented his apartment after and he was friends with a guy from mountain they all lived in the same building i'm like that's a lot of rock and roll right there and lou reed and lou reed's Joey from Ravon. long Island. but yeah so i'm you know it's it's good, good so you're little. carrying on an age-old tradition of, of jewish rock and rollers that's um, what that's you know it's my destiny oh it's awesome um but neil he was in metal bands. He probably started writing love songs when he was 14, but he was in a metal band when he was in high school. And yeah, then, I've seen pictures. It's amazing. Fantastic. I love yeah. the look. It was a good look. He had big hair. He had, uh, you know, like a cutoff uh, tank top t-shirt, big uh, heavy it's metal. Big hair, too. Really big hair, like, yeah. Like the Bon Jovi kind of. Well, there was the hairspray, and hairspray and hair picks. Like he had one of those hair picks that you picked your hair up. And so when did you start working with him around that time? Yeah, I met him when he was in his senior year of high school. And uh, he was hoping to have rock and roll stardom with his band, Exire, out of Morris Knowles High School in New Jersey. And they were like really great band. And I was working in a record store and the bass player in that band came in and gave me a cassette you got to hear our band and i worked with eddie trunk who is the foremost authority on heavy metal one of uh, right. and has, uh for many years had a radio show and he was the host of vh1 yes, yes I know, I know. and classic rock and yeah. and Ed. classics and all that stuff yeah so at that time ed and i were working at this record store called Al Wilk Records in Morris County Mall. And Ed was also starting his radio career. He was the co-host of a Friday night metal show on WDHA in New Jersey, which was the, the rock station that Neil and I grew up listening to. So on Friday nights, Ed co-hosted with, uh, I cannot remember her name, but this uh, this other woman. And it was Ed's start in his radio career, which has carried on now for 40 years. And Neil's bass player came in and said, this is our recording of our band. Maybe Ed can play it on the metal show on Friday night. And so, of course, he left and Ed and I were like skeptical, but we put the tape in and listened to it. It was actually really good. And at that time, you had so many metal bands where you had guys trying to sing like they were uh, in Judas Priest or Metallica or whatever, but Neil was singing in this band and he sounded more like Paul Rogers or classic rock, blues rock style vocalist. Neil was always bummed out that he couldn't shriek like Rob Halford. <laughs> but That's anyway. A real thing. I, I get it. There's those kind of voices either you, you do or you don't have those like, you know, like so many of those hair metal bands, like then like, the notes that they would get to. I'm not, I'm still, yeah. a fan. I love listening to classic rock radio. Yeah. Well, I think what it was also, the eighties was a weird time to grow up 
if you wanted to be a singer songwriter or uh, just a rock musician because hair metal and thrash metal was so popular so if you were a teenager you kind of had to play that style of music that's what i felt like anyway it was and then then it turned and i feel like guns and roses was like the first band to like kind of pivot. They stopped wearing their hair big and they put the hair and then they made, you know, what's it? Um, What was the second record? Not Appetite for Destruction, the other one, but then like Patience and all that stuff. And then all, and then that kind of ushered in the, the Seattle sound and everything just changed. And it was yeah. like heavy metal and glam just like took a backseat and it was all about that sound. So I feel like, for me, I'm still a little young at this point. I kind of, I was singing like, you know, just piano stuff and that, but you know, as far as it, but I've always liked, you know, I, I started listening to Nirvana and, and I just saw it happen. You know, I liked it all, but you know, yeah. there was a shift and I feel like it, you know, as far as like Neil, cause you know, the direction that he went in as a singer songwriter, you know, like it's an interesting pivot at that time. Well, he grew up loving the Stones and loving classic rock and Bad Company and Free. Yeah, that um, all, the 70s already happened. So at least we had the 70s yes. <laughs> to look back to. Yeah, and he loved that and he loved Jackson Brown. And so he wasn't, even though he was playing in a hard rock band, that really was, I don't think that was ever his destiny. Destiny, by the way, was Exire's big hit. They had a song called Destiny, <laughs> Exire. <laughs> that was their, that was their, those were the kind of titles you had when you were 16 year olds Absolutely. and writing metal songs. But yeah. anyway, after that band broke up, Neil started writing some solo songs. And then 1992, somebody gave him an upright piano and he was living in a house in Ledgewood, New Jersey. And he taught himself enough chords to write a song. And the song that he wrote was Feel No Pain, which was the song that you did. And it, it was a pivotal moment, I remember, because he was so proud that he'd written a song on piano. And he it really had just played guitar for so many years at that point. And he obviously, piano leads you to a little bit different type of composition, probably, than maybe an acoustic guitar. Obviously, they're the same notes, the same chords, but somehow you can arrange them differently, perhaps. Yeah, the feeling, know. just the mood, the feeling, the tone of, yeah. And so that song, Feel No Pain, was, I think he regarded it as the the time that he was like, oh, I, I'm actually pretty good at this. I, I, You know, Neil had written some songs and he loved them and he was proud of them, but I think that song was a big step for him because sure. he felt like he'd really, like, written something that, you know, I don't know if you're going to say it's, he's going to put it on the same level as his heroes, Jackson Brown or, or the Stones or anybody like that. But I know that it was a song he was really proud of and yeah. he was proud that he'd written it on piano. And then it became really one of the centerpieces of Fade Away Diamond Time, his first album. Yeah, it's a beautifully well-written song and, you know, one he should be proud of. Yeah. And that was a song that we, when we recorded that first album, we spent a lot of time trying to make sure that we really nailed that one. So it was yeah. a song he was always proud of. And and when we, after he passed away and we did that tribute concert, 
I, I know I called you up and I said, this is the song I want you to do. Cause I just heard you as the person who could really sing it. So what, when you heard that song, what did you think? And did you, how did you imagine doing it? Well, I was intimidated at first because I'm like, well, how, you know, the whole thing was, it was so, it was it's just devastating. And, and, and it was, it was such a, it was a hard time for everybody. And I just wanted to be able to like pull it off and, you know, make you, you know, everybody like it was okay, like to sing this song. And I just wanted to do a good job. And it was a beautiful song. I felt like I could do it, you know, like listening to the song. Cause we had, it's a similar, I like to play piano like that. So I was like, I can do this. You know, I had to change the key a little bit. Um, and change a little bit of the melody, but I don't think I, you know, like I spoiled, the, you know, I kept the integrity of the song. So, um, but it was a big emotional undertaking to like get that song down and, and do it where I felt like it was going to be good. Yeah, I think you, you did such a good job. I think that Neil would have been proud of that and the re- version that you recorded for the record. So at that tribute concert is when Dave Schools and Jim Scott and I just started dreaming up this idea of this tribute album highway butterfly I saw you guys in the wings yes i met Jim scott that day because i've been such a fan for so long and i'm like oh my gosh you know and he was so sweet and yeah. uh entry towards it so yeah that was yeah. so it, it kind of happened that night the thinking that the tribute the album- idea of it yeah and jim scott I, I started working with jim scott i was working on a record label and back in the late eighties, early nineties. And we'd hired Jim Scott to work on a couple records. And I just really thought he was so great. And a couple years later, I wound up becoming his manager and we'd hired him at this label I worked at to do a couple kind of rock records, hard rock records. Jim was always miscast in that world. He did some hard rock records. You know, Jim worked on a Danzig record, a Slayer record. You look at him and he looks like if he didn't open his mouth, you'd think he was like an English rocker from, you know, he's just, he's got the look. (laughs) Actually, if you look at Tom Petty's Instagram, uh, yesterday they posted some photos from uh, about 94, 95, and there's a picture of Jim Scott at the console with really long hair. It's uh, it's worth it's it's pretty pretty looking at. It's pretty classic. <laughs> but I had, uh, I when Neil made his first demos in 91, I sent them to Jim Scott, and he called me up and was like, now this is the kind of artist I want to work with. Oh. And I remember um, Neil and I went out, and, and Neil at that point was, you know, 23, 24. And he was a sensitive singer songwriter, I would say. And we went out to California and we met Jim. We went over to, uh, what was it called back then? Cello, Cello Studios, or it was, it was, uh, what was the original name of that studio? Why am I spacing on it? Anyway, uh, we went to Cello and we went out to lunch with Jim. And Jim can be a little intimidating when you first meet him, I think, if you're an artist, because he's, uh, He's very direct. He doesn't really, uh, I don't know. He challenged Neil on some stuff to get better. You know, I think you need That's to do good. this, you need to do that. And I remember after the lunch, like Neil was like, I don't know, man. I don't think that guy likes me very much. I don't think no. he's, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but of course he was. And Jim wound up making that record and producing yeah. uh, fade away diamond time and a lot of other Neil music over the years. Right. Uh, but yeah. And then, 
when we got into the studio with you to do your version of Feel No Pain, we had the same rhythm section. And Unbelievable. Bob Glaub and the the very sadly late Don Heffington oh, passed no. a couple it's months weird. ago. And um, so tragic because Don is really all over this Highway Butterfly album. I think he's on eight or nine songs. And he got diagnosed with leukemia in November on his 70th birthday and uh, just took him out uh, five or six months later. And it's just uh, so sad because Don, such a a legend in the Los Angeles music scene and uh, played on so many records with Bob Dylan, Emmy Lou Harris, the Jayhawks, Victoria Williams, uh, I mean, Tom Waits, you could go down an enormous list that Don Heffington played played with. And uh, we're actually doing a memorial for him on July 10th next week at okay. Pliers, at Jim Scott's studio. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. So that, that was uh, just so sad. And Neil and Don really loved playing music together. And um, But anyway, Don is on this version of Feel No Pain, along with Bob Glaub on bass and Greg Lease, who plays a ripping lap steel solo. Gorgeous. Of course, I think Graboff is on there as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a beautiful, beautiful version that you did. Oh, thank you. No, it was it was a beautiful day. Um, you know, just working with Dave and and Jim. They're they're a wonderful team to work with. You know, I felt very um safe and it was a very vulnerable session everybody was wearing their heart on their on their sleeves and feeling just letting all the emotion just go into the music so i'm i'm honored that you guys wanted me to be a part of it and um it's it's a everything i've heard so far is just stunning i have yeah. um yeah there's some beautiful beautiful songs on the record yeah um i'm gonna play play neil's version and then your version right now. So let's take a listen. Me wish there was a way I could make your dream. 
Well, that was that was Neil's version of Feel No Pain, followed by Leslie's version of Feel No Pain. And I think you did a great job of really capturing the essence of the song. When I hear Neil's version of the song, it really does take me back to hearing him play that in that little apartment that he had in, in Ledgewood, New Jersey. I remember going over there and and hearing uh, hearing him play it on the piano and, and the first couple versions we recorded um the version that's on fadeaway luckily turned out beautifully i think and when i hear it all these years later it still sounds beautiful to me and fun fact for fadeaway diamond time uh, fans the the guitar solo in that song uh that neil played in feel no pain is the last thing that was recorded on that album before we mixed it was yeah. the, very, the very last notes. I remember we we had finished the song and we never had a guitar solo in there. We kind of liked it because it was there was no solo and the piano was carrying it along in that little instrumental section. Then Neil came up with an idea for that and that's what he put on there. That's cool. Then in your version, we managed to get Greg Lease uh, to play that beautiful lap steel solo, which I think we were all just floored by when we heard that. Yeah, it was pretty special and you know greg and bob pretty well over the last few years i guess because you've been doing shows opening for jackson brown you also co-wrote a song with jackson brown you can call it a decision i say it's how we're made there's no point in shouting from your island proclaiming only jesus saves there will always be suffering and there will always be pain but because of it there'll always be love and love we know it will remain everybody gets lonely feel like it's all too much reaching some connection or maybe just their own reflection not everybody finds it not like the two of us sometimes all anybody needs is a human touch and that was a nice connection for you when you you didn't know Neil all that long before he passed away. And I think I remember sending him Human Touch, the song that you did with Jackson and saying, listen to this. This is maybe the best Jackson song in years because we were huge Jackson Brown fans. We used to go see him quite a bit in the early 90s. And we just loved that duet that you did with him. And I think he reached out to you after he heard it. Yeah. up a friendship there. We really did. It was kind of a, a, a quick and short lived, but it was, um, we had connected a few times because we keep getting thrown, we were getting thrown together on these, you know, kind of big, uh, like just, I always call them like guitar and kind of, you know, every, like all the different bands and then everybody sits in with each other and we kept kind of landing on the same gigs and, and we'd always just hang out and, and talk and it was usually you know pretty casual but I think between opening for the who and then writing with Jackson he was just like had like just a lot we were just 
just a lot of questions. We we just talked. I remember one night we were just talking for hours about music and uh, Jackson Brown was a big topic. We'd always, you know, we were taught and we'd just kind of send some songs back. But did you know this song? Have you heard this? You know, and he was just really enthusiastic and um, just, uh, yeah, just fun to talk to about music. Yeah, he loved he loved music. And if he if he could corner another Jackson Brown fan, that, <laughs> yeah. he, he really did love that. Yeah. Actually, when he first got out of high school, he he played a bunch of duo gigs around Northern New Jersey with a guy named Davis Janes. Davis mm-hmm. was Neil's mentor. They worked in a music store together. Davis was about 15, 18 years older than Neil. And he, he'd actually played with Leslie West for quite a few years as a guitar player. And so he'd been through the music industry and he was really a mentor to Neil. And he is the guy who really got Neil to, stop trying to be Eddie Van Halen or you're, you're not going to be that guy and you're not going to be John Bon Jovi. Like just be Neil, like who's Neil. And he really encouraged Neil to, to play the music that Neil really loved, which was Jackson Brown and the stones. And that's kind of the basis of his sound. And, but Davis and Neil started playing a duo gig. Neil had cut his hair. The big hair was gone. And, um, <laughs> And they they did this duo gig in like a bar restaurant. So they would play Elton John and Jackson Brown. And Neil would sing Jackson Brown songs, Elton John, uh, you know, all the classic rock that we love. And that's when I really thought to myself, this guy could really be, he hadn't written a bunch of songs yet. He hadn't written any singer songwriter songs, but I would hear him do this so convincingly. He could really sing those classic songs so beautifully. And that's when we used to start talking about that's maybe that's the sound you should go for. Maybe that's what you're good at rather than trying to be uh, a guitar, you know, hard rock guitar player in a hard rock band. Maybe you should just sing those heartfelt songs because at that point, not a lot of people were doing it. That's right. I mean, and and so, and so that was, that was important. Yeah, and that's why he was always so excited to talk about Jackson Brown to people who love Jackson. He was such a massive fan. I mean, I've never met a bigger fan. Yeah. yeah. And, um, yeah, he turned me on to songs that I didn't know. Like, because yeah. I know a lot of Jackson Brown, but, I, you know, he was turning me on to things that I, I didn't know, and I love that. Yeah. There was, a, there was a bootleg of Jackson and David Lindley. I think it's from 1974, in Bryn Mawr, Pennsylvania, just a duo gig. We had a, a bootleg of it, and we must have listened to that hundreds of times. And that his a lot of influence from that tape went into Neil's music. Just the way Jackson phrased music or wrote wrote songs or the way he wrote arranged things, mm-hmm. um, the way a verse would go into a chorus or whatever, or where the solos were, you can just hear that influence all over Neil's music in a good way. Absolutely. That's a great way. Well, there you go. Fun to reminisce. Fun to fun to think about it. And I'm I'm really excited for people to hear this album and to hear your song. Yeah. I can't wait to hear the whole thing. I've heard a bunch of it, like I said, and I'm excited about it. And how many albums is it? Or what what's how do you Uh, it's forty one songs, five vinyl LPs, three CDs. I don't think we ever imagined it being this big. Uh, He's got such a big catalog of songs, you know, like going through some of his stuff. I was just like, he has so many albums. 
I know. And also, on so there's 41 Neil songs on this record. There's another, I don't even know how many that I could have seen being on this record. There's some that didn't make this record uh, just because certain artists gravitated towards songs that they loved and we, we weren't policing it all that much. It was just like, if there's a song you love, let's have you do it. There was like, you did feel no pain. And I, I know that was a very specific idea like that. I really wanted you to do that song. I'm yeah. glad you did because I know that there's other ones you could have picked, but it was just so, this was such a perfect song for you. To well, do we it. talked about it and we just, I, we kept coming back. We're like, this is the one. Yeah. It just made sense. It fit. Yeah. Neil's mind would be blown. Uh, he would be humbled and probably, he'd probably be a little embarrassed by all of this, like by all these artists doing his songs. But I know that he would also be proud because, you know, Neil, Neil, like any uh, artist, like would hover from confidence and belief in themselves to, uh, I'm not good enough kind of oh, thing. Oh, it's like minute to minute some days. <laughs> yeah. yeah bizarre it's the way it's incredible how that happens and i know he he was a a sensitive soul yeah so i um i think i think his friends did him proud yeah yeah i like to remember the 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 young neil was he was so excited when he would write a song and uh we have so many tapes the good the good thing is that we recorded so much stuff back in the day mm -hmm. and we kept it all neil was good at keeping his own archives together so there's a lot of working tapes cassette tapes of like him writing songs so and at some point I'll, hopefully we'll share some of that with people but um you'll hear him playing a song working on the words and then the cassette all the song will end and then maybe a couple hours later there's another version of it where he's refined it a little bit. And so you really hear that. And so when he would finish songs, I know he, he was just, he was really excited about it. And those early years were so fun before you get beaten down by the music industry. <laughs> I mean, but when you're just excited about writing songs. Yeah, just, that's a beautiful place, you know, that we all I think would love to get back to that yeah. place where that's all that matters. Yeah. We still, I still strive for that place. Yeah. You know, it's not easy, but. <laughs> well, I think there's, yeah, there's that there's a special feeling when you write a song and you first listen back to it. It's a really powerful thing. Yeah. Just finishing a song. <laughs> like finishing a song is, thing these days. It's a great victory, yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> small victories these days anything yeah all right leslie all well, right thanks yeah. for joining us um hopefully at some point we will do a, another tribute show uh when this record oh, yeah. is out perhaps we'll figure out the way to get a bunch of people who are on the record together to play some of these songs again we'd all love that yeah. i'd love that that'd be great all right all right bye bye this podcast is brought to you by backline the music industry's mental health and wellness resource hub. Launched in 2019, Backline gives artists, crews, and their families quick and easy access to mental health and wellness resources. Backline provides individuals with case management, 
and offers virtual support groups as well as yoga, meditation, and breath work. To donate, learn more, or get in touch for personalized care, visit backline.care. That's B-A-C-K-L-I-N-E dot C-A-R-E. Thanks for listening to Highway Butterfly, the stories of Neil Casal. Tune in next week to hear more from the artists who made this tribute album a reality. Highway Butterfly, the songs of Neil Casal is out on November 12th. All album net proceeds go to the Neil Casal Music Foundation. You can pre-order the album and learn more at neilcasalmusicfoundation.org. Osiris.